we're exactly where we want to be. We are not going to win every SEC championship game. We're not going to win every national championship game. But we have to get in the game in order to have a chance to win. And I, by God, will not miss another one of these games. I don't care if we lose every one. Because I had so much fun yesterday. It's gut-punchingly kicked me in the nuts as it was at the end of that game. I had so much fun being in that stadium. Wayne, Wayne actually texted me. He said, I'm actively mad at Mark Rick for denying us this all these years. It was Alabama 35, Georgia 28, and another heartbreaking defeat at the hands of the Crimson Tide at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the Dogs. In January, it seemed like the Tide just swiped the national championship right out of our grasp. But this time, the narrative could be written a little bit differently, as Georgia might have let the SEC championship slip right through their fingers after leading by two touchdowns in the second half. And that's what we're going to discuss on this show. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and you're listening to episode 168 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. My two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller, were at the game and joined me for a conversation on what went wrong for the dogs. And we offer up our opinions on the college football playoff Final Four, among a few other topics. And yes, despite their utter disappointment, we'll have another installment of JTNW at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that as well. All right, deep breath. We'll all sort it out in the next 30 minutes or so. Here's Will to get us started. Okay, so how's everyone doing? I'm doing surprisingly well. Scott, you? Yeah, I'm. I'm okay. I haven't left the house today, but uh, <laughs> that's not. It's not because I'm depressed or anything. I just haven't had a chance to leave the house. Um, that's my excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who may have missed it, <laughs> Georgia lost in the SEC championship game, thirty-five to twenty-eight. Uh, in irritatingly, narratively convenient fashion, I will say, uh, my friend Charlie Pierce was on Twitter during the game saying this is, uh, saying for all, as a present and former columnist, uh, this is a gift from the gods to see Jalen Hurts come in and, uh, and win the game in that way. Certainly with a minute that Tua went down, it was funny. We had joked during the week. I even wrote in my piece for WSLS that, uh, Wow, maybe something happened to his knee and we'll all catch a break. And somehow when he went down in the third quarter, it did not feel like a break. It felt like, hmm, uh-oh, because it had come after uh, Rodrigo's miss, which I think we can all agree is certainly what changed the momentum in that stadium. Um, it's hard. It's a hard thing to see uh, this kind of happen again. Did you guys, were you guys like me when the Rodrigo kick missed? Is that when the air went out or did you feel like it was a time after that? I thought it was the Jerry Judy touchdown, although you can make the argument that Alabama recovering their own fumble a split second before the ball gets knocked out of his hands again was the momentum changer. But, look, you know, we, we're going to get to the play call in a minute. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I'm holding uh, off as long as I can. I think you want to be careful not to place so much blame there. Tua going out did change the game because we didn't adjust on defense for the new quarterback which is the narrative from last year. <laughs> right. I'm glad Charlie Pierce gets to write his column. <laughs> yes. Scott, how about you? Where, 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 did, we, did you tape this one? Or are we getting a sad video compilation coming up soon? It was ironic. I found out, I, I don't make our social calendar. I let my wife do that. And I found out we were going to my friend's house in Lane Creek where we watched the Rose Bowl game and all the same couples and same kids would be there. So about 10 minutes before we left, I kind of looked at my wife and I was like, Jennifer, we're going to, not try to make a different video from the Rose Bowl. We're going to make the same 
video from the Rose Bowl and I had it all recorded and it was good. It was, it was good. I was getting plenty of B roll and all the stuff I do when I shoot a video. And, um, I think about the time that the last drive that hurts was, um, just seemingly in complete command of that. That's when I started going into the denial and bargaining phase. Mm -hmm. I I skip over anger. I'm being an Atlanta, Georgia sports fan. I don't even deal with anger anymore. I just go into the denial and bargaining while the game is happening. And, um, you know, then journey into acceptance after the game. Okay. Now I'm going to the third and 12 play on the final drive. That was one of the key moments. And then Hertz touchdown run. Everyone is screaming holding, but it wasn't called. I just think it's this uh, also the sign of the times where on Georgia's last drive of the game, where from looked like he might've fumbled, but then they ruled it incomplete when the refs were reviewing it, uh, there was clearly a face mask. And it, it just was funny to me that they upheld the incomplete pass, but they should have said the ref should have come on, but we blew the non-call for the clear face mask amongst some of the other non-calls we made. I don't know. I'm going to get into it in my next comment about where I stand on how I feel about this, because I do have a lot of scar tissue from this. And I think that's why I journey into the land of acceptance immediately, but uh, not good, Bob. Um, I will confess, uh, having dabbled a little bit in Twitter afterwards, uh, you are one of the few people, Scott, who skipped the anger phase. It appears to have been a lot of people that delved right into there. I agree with the general idea that there were probably a lot of holding calls that weren't made. Uh, that said, Georgia lost this game. And I know that that's a hard thing. I know that this is frustrating. And listen, we'll get into, we'll get into, uh, I want to, let's just start with the game and then we'll get into, uh, into the pairings that came out on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Georgia lost this game. And yes, there were many times where, oh, this call would have helped out or this call would have helped out. Like last year, Georgia had control of this game. And it lost it. <laughs> and, and that, that is all there is to it. And I think it started, I do, I think it started with the Rodrigo missed field goal. Uh, I thought there was a little bit of excitement after the interception at the goal line, which I thought was a terrific play. I was actually sitting in the Alabama section <laughs> with my wife. Everyone was actually very nice. I will confess it's advantage of playing Alabama as opposed to, I guess, Auburn <laughs> would be in that situation. I think all their fans have just gotten old at winning. <laughs> I don't mean that winning's gotten older than I think they're just actually that old and they just don't really fight anymore. Uh, uh, but I, that was, was right by us. We saw the interception. It was a terrific play, and that was very exciting. But to me, after they missed that field goal, the vibe in the stands changed. <laughs> like, it just did. It just did. And, you know, this is something I've talked about before, about this mindset, this mindset of the scar tissue that you talk about, Scott, and the idea that this is always going to happen, and I can't get excited about that. Uh, I know that that's a self-protective thing for people, and I get why they do that. There is also physical, tangible things that happen when you feel that way all the time. And when he missed that field goal, particularly when Alabama got that first touchdown, the vibe in that place, which I would say midway through the third quarter, was... Georgia's winning this game. Georgia's winning this game. They've got control. They've pushed Alabama around. If you remember, there was that one play where uh, after after the interception, Kirby had to run over and shut up the Georgia crowd because they were still so cheering, even though Georgia had the ball deep in their end zone. That place was starting to float. That place was starting to really get going with Georgia fans feeling like it's going to happen. And the minute something bad happened, everybody at once said, we're going to lose this. And I'm sorry, that was an undeniable vibe in that stadium. And I'm sorry, but like, players feel that. 
Coaches feel that. Everybody starts gripping a little bit harder. And I'm not saying that's the reason that they lost this game. But I do think that there's this weird thing that, and this is my little rant. There's this weird thing that I, I, that Georgia fans do that when things are going bad or things might go bad, that I understand that it's self-protecting that like, Oh, well, I, I knew this was going to happen. I have to protect myself, but it's weird. Like it's a real thing. Like your job as a fan is to want your team to win, not to protect yourself because of losses. And I sense the crowd change. I sense the coaches change. I think this is probably a good time to get us into that fake punk call. Uh, it, the whole thing was different once everybody started freaking out. And I think people act like, Oh, we're cursed. We're cursed. I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings. Curses are not in fact real. There are not witches in a coven, putting a curse on the Georgia or Atlanta sports fan fan base. And frankly, when Atlanta United wins the MLS Cup in a week, I bet people are still going to feel cursed or they're going to say that doesn't count or whatever. There are no curses. There are just things that happen. And this is a thing that happened that I would argue was in part because everybody, coaches, players, fans, tensed up and Alabama just took advantage of it. Well, the, I mean, the one thing I would say to that is that Either one, um, either one didn't stop yelling, and either one, even down to the recording, the last uh, three throws from had. First off, I knew there had been a missed face mask, and also that was not a fumble because I was recording it, and I went back and looked. I still felt like we were going to win the football game, up to and including the third down play there. And I, I, I thought, you know, the hail mary. Okay, I mean, this was with us down seven points, right? So I, I get what you're saying, Will. I completely agree with you that the coaches. And the stadium, the vibe in the stadium changed. Um, sitting in the Georgia section, it was noticeable from the Alabama fans how much they got engaged in the game from that point forward. I agree with you generally that there are, there are not curses. Those things do become self-fulfilling. And you could tell, maybe not necessarily from the players, but it felt like the coaches coached scared after that. And that was... Um, We'll talk about the punt thing, and this will, this will be, and, and after, after Scott has this rant, maybe we'll talk about the punt, but we have to remember, we have a third-year head coach. He is still making mm-hmm. new coaching bad calls. Lincoln Riley gave us that gift last year in the Rose Bowl. We gave Nick Saban one last year and this year. We, well, everybody's like, well, why can't he be Nick Saban? Nick Saban was a seventh-year head coach and coached in the NFL <laughs> three years as a head coach before he came to coach at Alabama. You don't have Nick Saban because Nick Saban was six years further along his career when he came to coach at Alabama. And frankly, when we get to the, when you sit down and look at it, and I am by no means rationalizing moral victory or whatever, we're exactly where we want to be. We are not going to win every SEC championship game. We're not going to win every national championship game. But we have to get in the game in order to have a chance to win. And I, by God, will not miss another one of these games. I don't care if we lose every one because I had so much fun yesterday. It's gut-punchingly kicked me in the nuts as it was at the end of that game. I had so much fun being in that stadium. Wayne, Wayne actually texted me. He said, I'm actively mad at Mark Rick for denying us this all these years. <laughs> That's and that great. is exactly That's great. the same way I feel That's today. Great. That's great. That's great. Okay, we did talk about the fake pot. My issue with the fake pot, other than that it was uh, clearly, I think, a very strange time for it, particularly with the way things were going, right? It felt like a, like, it, like things were already kind of going backwards anyway. It was a weird time to try it. But it really feels like a lot of the things that, frankly, have been tried with fields this year, 
which is you know what Fields can do, and you get like so excited by it that you forget that everybody else knows what Fields can do. And the minute I saw Fields in that game, I, like Alabama, I'm sure, thought, uh-oh, something's up. And the fact that they didn't hike the ball in time, which I think which was what Kirby said the problem was, and I think he's correct. I think that there may have been something there, and there was a clear delay in the hiking of the ball. It's still such a strange call. It's such a strange call. I, uh, Seth Emerson uh, argued that if it were that if the play might have worked better if Isaac Nauda would have been in the spot instead of Fields, because the minute you saw Fields in that spot, because Alabama's watched tape, they know he's not usually in on punt kicks. The minute you saw that, you had like a half a second, maybe, to make that play work. And for a team that was not executing at its best at that particular moment in the game, it was a very odd time to call a play that, yeah, may have been there, but required everything to go exactly perfect. And it didn't work. If it worked, we're all very excited, but I think we would have been praising uh, the intestinal fortitude of Kirby Smart rather than the brains of Kirby Smart if it would have worked that way. Uh, but it, it, it was clearly a disaster, and uh, I think it's going to be a long time until people are stopped thinking about that call. Yeah, and you have to understand uh, when you see that, you have to be able to call the timeout. You have to be able to call the timeout. You have to be able to call the timeout and see it. <laughs> you have no choice. And, look, I... If we'd gone out there and run a regular play on fourth and eleven, there I'd have been better with the, better than way the fake punt call was executed. We'll have plenty of time to deconstruct Justin Fields' role in this team this season, and and frankly yesterday. But you know that we put him in a situation where he was given no chance unless he was specifically told, and, and Kirby's protecting him specifically told, if it ain't there, call the timeout. Don't go through with it. Now, if Kirby's protecting his player, good for him. But at best, it was an interesting call. In um, in you should you should have brought the timeout and just gone gone away from it. The way I'd explain the fake punt to me is I'm I'm actively watching the game. In fact, there's probably 16 to 20 of us actively watching the game. I knew it was fourth and 11. However, let me let me give it to you in this illustration. When when we moved back to Athens in 2005, my wife and I she went to school here. I went to school here, and I made the comment after living here for about three months because she kept getting confused on directions and everything, and asking me about like where's Millage and Lumpkin. And I told her, I was like, Jennifer, it's like, I know the direction, but when you ask me these directions, you almost confuse me to where I doubt that I'm even telling you correctly what the directions is. Having said that, that's what I mean by the fake punt. I knew it was fourth and 11, but as they're running it and Justin Fields is running it up, I was sitting there questioning, is it fourth and one? Is Did he get it? Because it was so shocking to me that they would even run that. I'm sitting there looking at the guy to the left and the right of me saying it was fourth and 11, right? Did you know? So it was just completely baffling. Um, George has had a very poor run on fake plays, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to punts and field goals. I mean, we saw it in the LSU game, we saw the feeble attempt against Auburn and we laughed it off because we were, we were ahead so much. And so it was like, no big deal. Ha ha. Let's add to Rodrigo's lore. But I mean, going back years past, I don't think we've run a successful fake uh, since the 2012 SEC championship game when Arthur Lynch helped complete a fake pass on a, on a punt. I asked that question on Twitter today. So, I mean, we're not Beamer ball. We're not Virginia tech. I think it was a poor call. I think a lot of people are going to, going to question that. And, and I mean this in the best way. And I hope he doesn't redeem himself because I don't want to see any more fakes called unless they're perfect. But he's going to have to redeem himself because that's going to that's going to hang over his coaching tenure here at Georgia until it doesn't until something wipes it out. And 
you know, all we have is time to wait and, and mull over that. Unfortunately, again, I've accepted this. You know, I'm not angry. I'm not I'm not going to bash the, the team or the coaching staff or the players at all. And I'm not going to get in a Twitter rant. I deleted a tweet earlier today after I sent it out. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to go to that place. Um, <laughs> so uh, luckily, I don't think anybody screen grabbed it. Um, it it's, it's hey, t- by the way, Scott, yeah. good for you, because there's a lot of people that could use that from last night starting about eight o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. I mean, I think it's just because we've been here and just to give context, and I know this is probably going to be an extra long post-game show. I wrote down because I was questioning myself today when I got up, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong. First thing you thought was like, did that really happen? And then that clarity kicks in even before you get to your coffee saying like, oh yeah, that did happen last night. But I sat down and I wrote down like, why do I feel, and this is my own personal opinion, why do I feel that um, the Atlanta slash Georgia sports fan is the most tortured fan base? And that's a harken back to Will's famous yearly article that he writes. He ranks the most tortured fan bases. And so that's where I get that phrase from. When I was four and a half, I remember specifically my dad, one of my first memories of sports, I was four and a half. He was in a, on, a, on a trip to Toronto and I was staying with my grandparents and he came back and he was picking me up and I, I noticed that he was visibly upset about something. And that was on January 1st, or I'm sorry, January 4th, 1981. The Falcons had the best record in the NFC. They were playing the Dallas Cowboys and the divisional playoff round, and they blew a 20 point fourth quarter lead. And he went over and over with me about how it was devastating to him. And so that, you know, you can go, go with the other Falcons history throughout the years. I'm not going to recount that, but then I look at the Braves, 1991, 1992, Sure, we had 1995, which happens to be my uh, fantasy football team, not since 1995. Uh, That was the one victory. And then you had 96 and 99 where you lost to the Yankees. You have the Atlanta Hawks. They're 1-16 in in conference semifinals uh, since 1970. The one year they did make it to the conference finals in 2015, they were swept by the Cavs 4-0. And then even I was sitting there thinking, what else is there? UGA Baseball in 2008 lost to a number four seed, the 89-ranked RPI Fresno State after going up 1-0 in the College World Series finals. So that's just a couple things. That's me. You know, that's yeah, me as an Atlanta, Atlanta Georgia fan. Atlanta United is winning on Saturday, okay? Well, you, so you your might torture have... is over. Your torture is well, going to be over on Saturday. And I want to hear this from all these Atlanta sports fans because I don't care about the Hawks. Look, I'll be, about... I'll be right there with you. <laughs> okay, I'll be right so. there with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm an Atlanta United fan, and I will, I, will, I will breathe a sigh of relief if that happens, although I think you just curse them. They're, they're winning that game. Um, <laughs> but the um, uh, point is, is to, uh, back to Georgia, I understand I get it. And I, you know, I think UGA Nihilist was uh, hollering at me after yeah. the game. I think he, I mean, his, he said, like, well, listen, if we've had two car accidents, I made the, the analogy that the first Alabama loss was a car accident. This was also a car accident. Though, for the record, I think the national championship loss was worse. I was discussing this with my wife. I actually do think that was worse than this. I think, I, I, if you remember, we've talked about the national championship game. I said, I think it's impossible to lose a game in a worse way than that. I still feel that way. This game, this was a bad loss. The national championship game was harder. It was harder. And I think the only thing that's harder about this one is with a national championship game, they fought absolutely all the way to the end. And even though they lost, it didn't feel like a UGA falling up short again. It felt like, okay, here they come. Now there is. Like no one looked at that Georgia at the at the national championship game last year and said, "Oh well, Georgia blew it again. Look what Kirby screwed up. They should have done this." I didn't get that sense, and now yeah. th- that's there. 
Like that's there now. Like people now it's the why did you do the fake punt? You blew it. You blew a twenty eight fourteen lead. Like you're seeing that now. Um, I still feel like the the other loss was worse. Also, it's worth noting had they won this game, they would have not in fact won the national championship. So I do think that uh, the idea that there was a breakthrough uh, if they would have lost to Clemson, uh, say, or even Alabama again, uh, this game would have. That would have lost a little bit of importance. I think that uh, uh, this was rough, obviously, uh, and it's particularly rough to have it happen to Alabama twice in the same building in the same calendar year. But I think the hardest thing to I, – I don't think this loss is bad, is as bad. However, I think it's going to be take longer to live down for kind of what you're talking about, the idea that that fake punt is going to follow Kirby Smart around until he wins the national championship. That's just <laughs> a fact. That's just a fact. Now, you know, I, was talk, I was talking to Alexa this about dinner, dinner last time, and we were talking about how – just awful, uh, the life of a college football coach is. Just how difficult it is. Never minding, everyone says, well, you make so much money. Well, yeah, but most don't make that much money. And frankly, look around. There are, there are easier ways people find to, to make $7 million a year than uh, be on the road constantly and people screaming at you all the time and have to move your family constantly. Like, like in the last 10 years, Kirby Smart and his family have lived in seven different cities. <laughs> like this is a tough job and it's a very difficult thing. And I was talking about the idea, like now Kirby Smart at the pinnacle of his profession as one of the top five paid coaches in college football, if he does not win a national championship by 2024, 2025, I bet they fire him. And I bet they, for that, that's the fit, then I don't think they should, but I bet they do because this is the start of it, right? It's been so awesome. But then this year, this frustrating year, we get someone's hopes up again and then they lose it again. And now it's a, you made a mistake. That call, this is the way it works, not just in Georgia, but in college football in general. When there is that bit, the, that, that much of a call that a lot of people are going to say cost you the, the game, which is not entirely true, but it's like, I think partly true. It's going to follow him around until he wins a national championship. I don't think there's any question i don't think that's fair but i think that's the world we live in well one last thought about the the point call is that uh, a lot of people are like you, you just don't trust your defense no he didn't trust his defense were you watching the game after hurts <laughs> no we didn't adjust the, we didn't adjust the game plan to to account for hurts and i mean yeah we press on offense there were times but you can't you also that also takes away and ignores the team on the other side of the ball and you can't do that. Um, look, if we if we weren't Georgia fans, if Georgia fans weren't Georgia fans, we would look at this game. If you just looked at the box score and you didn't follow the narrative of the game, the ups and downs of the game, you would look at this and think, huh, Alabama Georgia played a hell of a football game. Georgia gave them all they wanted. Alabama was the best team in the nation this year. Georgia's probably the second best team in the nation. Well, you know, does it suck that we have to play them in the SEC championship? Of course it does. But you're right about one thing, Will, and there is no getting around this, is that that is going to be hung around Kirby's neck like an albatross every single game we lose for the next five years. Unless he wins a national championship and goes 15-0 next year, and then people will probably stop bringing it up. (laughs) We still bring up UL Monroe to Nick Saban. That was 11 (laughs) years ago and five national championships ago. You know why? That's how humans are. And you know, to get at one little point about your Georgia fans are, all fans are this way, Will. All fans are this way. We all think we're the most tortured. We all think the refs cheat for the other team. We all think something is against us. And we're not wrong. We're not right. But the reality is, is like for the past two years, college football, Georgia's been the team that has uh, has taken those those punches right in the gut. And, man, it sucks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this leads into, I think, what we need to talk about next, which is, of course, the 
the college football playoff, which I don't know if you guys noticed that Georgia did not make it. Georgia was number five. They were, but they were, they ended up ahead of Ohio State uh, and behind Oklahoma, which some people thought was intellectually inconsistent. Which is to say, if you really thought Georgia was was that good, they should have been ahead of both of them. Or if you didn't think they should have been there, they should have been behind both of them. I have to say, this feels right. Like it's yeah. a shame. It's a shame, uh, and I understand the arguments. For picking Georgia, I absolutely understand the arguments for picking Georgia. I think one guy had him third, which I thought was kind of funny. Well, it's kind of funny, except for the fact that I don't know. I think Georgia would beat Notre Dame by ten points if they played them on the neutral field right now. So I understand that idea, but I mean, you can't. I mean, for two reasons. One, there's the public relations reason, which is the, obviously having two SEC teams, having three conferences shut out. People would have lost their minds. That to me is the less interesting and less compelling argument. The more compelling argument is if you just go with the idea, hey, who has the most talent? Well, then people keep talking about like, well, aren't the games supposed to matter? Yes, they are supposed to matter. And Georgia lost two of them. And I'm sorry, would no, if would Notre Dame have lost two if they would have had to play at LSU and against Alabama in the SEC championship game? Probably, but they didn't. <laughs> but they didn't. And that's what, to me, that's what this comes down to. If Georgia would have beat that one the LSU game and lost yesterday the way that they did, they'd be in the playoff right now. That's all there is to it. And I think the LSU game is a that feels like a different Georgia team. That's they learned something after that game and were better after that game. They, I think they're one of the best four teams in the country. But that game happened just like Ohio State's blowout loss to Purdue happened. Like those loss that that game happened. And as much as I would love to see Georgia in there, I'd love to see them get another crack at Alabama. I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm I'm sad they're not in the playoff, but I, I certainly understand it. Yeah, I, I walked out of there. Yeah, like I stayed, I stayed downtown line like you did. There were a ton of Alabama fans in my um, in my hotel, and to a person there said, "Y'all should get in. Y'all should be in." And and I said, "Look, yeah, let's let's just be honest about this. We're not getting in, and probably we shouldn't get in." I agree with you. Uh, I had a discussion with my dad. Right? And he was like, "Well, Notre Dame didn't play a national, cha- didn't play in the conference um, conference championship game." I'm like, "Well, Dad, you can't. That can't matter one year." And then not matter the next. I mean, it does matter when you're can't matter the next. I mean, Alabama got in last year without playing a conference championship game. So are you, I mean, you, it can't, it can't be one way one year and one way the next. That's just not how it is. I mean, deserve and things like that are tough. And that's part of the problem of having a committee do a selection of four teams is that you can't point to the thing, the reason other than to say, watch the games, nerd. And, Frankly, you're right. Georgia lost two games. We are a totally different team than we were on October the 10th or 11th, whatever the game, that, game, that game was. But, you know, hey, as for me and mine, I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to yell because it's still 10-9 to in Texas. <laughs> you know, I think um, as far as the college football playoff, I think I've heard Will argue for an eight-team playoff. And although it'll never not have its flaws, this is what would get me behind this year. Uh, and I've always been kind of against it. I think I could get behind Will's argument for an 18 playoff. Um, I think it'd be a good fit for this year. And I'd also, and I hear what you're saying, Tony, about Notre Dame, and I'm not going to make excuses for or against Notre Dame, but I'd, I'd like to start hearing the drumbeat for Notre Dame to have to declare conference affiliation. To me, especially yesterday, they're kind of like the guy in the group project who doesn't do any of the work yet receives and takes all the credit for a job well done while all the other four members are of the project are, are playing or, or doing something, but yet those members of the project don't say anything because they don't want to upset anyone since Notre Dame's always been independent. And, you know, people argue about tradition. 
I don't think Notre Dame cares about tradition anymore. I know y'all went up there. I've never been to South Bend, but if they did, they wouldn't make a mockery of their uniform year in and year out the way they did against Syracuse this year when they wore pinstripe pants and a Navy blue helmet. So if, if any of Notre Dame fans ever, ever comes up to you and says, well, it's the tradition of being independent. You, you just, just pull up a picture on your phone and show them that and say, there's your tradition. So I, I'd be willing to cross my fingers and hope that maybe it goes to six or eight because you know what people would argue that these games wouldn't mean anything. I think they'd mean more because of the way they'd figure it out. I think it just adds to it. I, I, I went from unsold to sold in the matter of, of 24 hours because of yesterday. And it's not just because I'm sour grapes with Georgia. I don't think they should have been in either. I, I'm, I would have been shocked and almost kind of like sheepishly embarrassed <laughs> had they gotten in, but I mean, I would have taken it, but um, you know, they got Texas, and the Sugar Bowl. They haven't played Texas since 84. Texas hadn't played in the Sugar Bowl since 94. So guess what, Georgia fans? Texas is going to be excited about playing in the Sugar Bowl. And you don't want to show up and have an 9 Alabama versus Utah moment in the Sugar Bowl to end the season. Two things quickly. Uh, one, when it comes to an, I agree with an 18 playoff. I have to say, if you really wanted an 18 playoff, the best way to get it would be for Georgia to get in this year, <laughs> because that would have made three conferences. <laughs> yeah, that would have made three conferences commissioners absolutely furious, and I think with some good reason. But if you wanted 18 playoffs, that uh, that I mean, listen, Georgia fans are mad. Ohio State fans are mad. I know we like to make fun of Central Florida, but seriously, they've won 25 straight games, and they're still yet to even been considered. Uh, so I don't think they should be, but it, to me, that's Central Florida to me is the best argument for an eight-game tournament. Like, for crying out loud, like, if you're going to win 25 straight games, you should at least get one chance over two years to get the opportunity. The second thing is, I would lay off Notre Dame a little bit. Like, I agree that them not having to be in a conference makes them out to play a conference championship game. Look who they played this year. And again, these schedules are put together a long time ago. But it was perfectly reasonable. They played Michigan. They played Stanford. They played at Virginia Tech. They played Northwestern. They played Florida State. They played at USC. In any normal year, that's a fantastic schedule. It turned out that USC was terrible and Florida State was terrible and Virginia Tech was disappointing. And uh, and Stanford was disappointing. And Michigan was the best team they ended up playing. But like, I don't, I find it hard to blame Notre Dame for taking some easy way out or not putting in the work. Like they, they scheduled really tough. It's just all the teams that are usually good all happen to be bad in the same, the same year with the exception of Michigan, who they beat in the first game of the season and they might not have beaten them if they had played them later in the year. I agree. It's weird. Having no name in there is strange. I think it's, I think clearly. Of all those games, uh, that's the first game, Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame Clemson. I think Clemson's going to destroy them. <laughs> I think, I think Clemson's going to absolutely stomp them in that game. And maybe that makes it harder for Notre Dame to get in in the future. But yeah. for now, I, I, I find it difficult to, to argue that they shouldn't be in there. Well, and the other part of that, looking at strength of schedule, I brought this up on the podcast last week. UCF and Clemson's strength of schedule are very similar. Uh, even after playing Pitt, which one of the four beat. Um, Notre Dame's strength of schedule is better than Clemson. And um, I, I, I agree with you, Scott, that that is a, um, is a tough pill to swallow when you sit here and look at it. But we have no guarantees we would have gotten in as a one-loss team and basically second place in the conference. Because remember, Alabama was 8-0 in the conference. We were 7-1. And that's the one thing I told, I was talking to Georgia fan last night, I told them the same thing. I was like, well, if we didn't have a conference championship game, we'd be in. I was like, I don't know that we would because we finished second in our conference. <laughs> I feel you when, you, when you're talking about, uh, Scott, when you're talking about the whole um, 
Notre Dame ought to have to declare, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a bigger structural issue that eventually we will get to. They will have to join a conference when the likes of UCF decide, we're not putting up with the same war, and go to, see, go to ESPN and say, we're putting together our own group, uh, Power 5 group. We're going to play for a trophy, too. And before you scoff at that, the day's coming where we need even more content. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be subscriber-driven. And, you know, we just think we have a lot of content now. Um, so... It is going to be interesting uh, one to see how many points Clemson beats Notre Dame by and what that has to do with future prospects for Notre Dame. But even more interesting to me, to see what happens with Alabama and Oklahoma. Because if Georgia didn't go in a shell offensively, we could probably score 42 points last night. That might be hubristic. I, I admit that. We have not but said the words Jake Fromm yet on this podcast, and he we, was, I was fantastic. Say, Jake Fromm was amazing through the first two and a half quarters. And let me let me be honest here. That had nothing to do with that that yesterday that game had nothing to do with Jake Fromm. I've seen some comments and heard some people with Jake Fromm, blah blah this. No, we we changed our our both our mentality and our play calling mentality. And maybe I'll pick a little bit at Cheney here. We've changed our play calling mentality. We were not afraid to throw the ball on first down. I don't think we threw the ball on first down a single time until the last drive. Frankly, the drive that ended with the the fake punt. Fields was in on the first play of that drive. Yeah, what are you doing there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have you have a guy that has what was he sixteen to twenty one or something? Why? And, and I get you want to try you switch things up. You want to give, you want to throw a, a different look. But you, you got to put your leaders on the field and put them in a position to win. And if there's anything that's really most disappointing about this, that's where our coaching staff failed. Is we didn't put our leaders in a position to win the ball game because we didn't adjust uh, defensively and offensively. The adjustments we made were all designed to let's get to the end of the clock. Let's get to the end of the clock, and that's that's where they failed. That's where they failed the team. All right. Well, we are now we've 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 devolved it to try to figure out to not only fix Georgia but fix uh, all of media. So, <laughs> so I think maybe uh, we should we we should close it there. Uh, we were not going. For my say, I don't. We're not, I'm traveling this week. I don't think we're going to do a sit down podcast this week. But I'd like to do one next week because we've got uh, there's a football game and it's going to be fun and uh, and it's a t- and it's Texas. So we'll have a good little precursor game for. It's not, it's not officially Texas yet. I think we all know it's going to be Texas. I don't think it's been official. Uh, yeah, I think it's official. Now. It's official now. Okay. And I think Georgia's favored by 14 already. 14, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. That could go down depending on how much Georgia wants to play. I think we'll learn a little mm-hmm. bit there, by the way, is how much, how Georgia, how much Georgia is. Is Georgia into this game as much as Auburn was into their game last year, or are they not? Uh, we'll find that out soon. But whatever, it was, it's been a terrific year. It was a great, frustrating game, uh, a great game that, that went, went wrong at the end. It was a great environment. I had a great time with the game. Uh, obviously a tough loss, but, uh, uh, Quite a year, guys, um, and we will uh, we'll, we'll do a show next week where we kind of uh, after we all kind of take a step away and, and go with our families, be outside. It's a beautiful day in Athens. I know you haven't left your house yet, Scott, but it is actually quite nice outside. Uh, is I, it really? It is. It's really nice outside. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I've been outside. I'm, I'm I have ribs on the smoker right now. I put ribs on since I got home. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, rib therapy. Uh, I think it's probably not the best first way to handle that. Oh, oh. Speaking of therapy, let me interrupt you real quick. I want to give a special thanks. You know, we all got. got a lot of tweets during the game and then even today i want to give a special shout out to a 
lovely lady named Sarah Persinger. She's a former gym dog and an avid WSLS podcast listener. She tweeted us saying, if there's anything that could even come close to comforting me right now, I think it's hearing Scott, Tony, and Will sort it all out on WSLS podcast. So thank you, Sarah. Yeah, Sarah, yeah and Sarah, we are so sorry we did not sort it out. We are still going through this ourselves. Uh, it's, a, it's a dark time, but we're doing our best. Uh, this is why we did a long show on this one, because a longer show on this one, because we're probably not going to do a show this week. We'll kind of chill out. Well, maybe we'll get together next week sometime and uh, and come to terms with all of this. But uh, I look forward. I've, I'll have you know, I already have my hotel room set up for next December 8th in downtown Atlanta. I recommend everyone do the same because I think George is going to be back there again. I'm ready to. I'm ready to go see him do it again. All right, guys. How about that? Go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who interacted with us on Twitter before, during, and after the game. I'd also like to thank those of you who have left reviews on our podcast in the past week. I can't tell you how good those podcast reviews make us feel. I would like to describe it as our currency, if that makes sense, for, for us taking the time out of our schedules to sit down and produce the show. It, it's just a way of saying thanks from you all, so we greatly appreciate it. And also, I need to give a shout-out to everyone who left comments on our posts on WSLSpodcast.com this week. Will and Tony both wrote articles, which were very well-received, and we'll try to respond to those comments, each and every one of them this week, I promise. And that'll do it for a couple of weeks for this podcast. You can expect our next show to be out sometime after December 11th. I think we're going to record that Tuesday, the 11th. So we're going to take the rest of this week off, but check in with us on Twitter and Instagram at WSLS Podcast if you have any questions or comments or like to see some Instagram posts. And also look for some updates on the website as well. Christmas gifts. (laughs) We still have a few shopping days until Christmas, and we still have a few waiting since last Saturday t-shirts. Just a thought for the hard-to-buy-for sports fan. And that'll do it for today. We'll see you on campus very soon. And as always, go dogs. Okay, so it's JTMW back here for another post-game recap of the Georgia-Alabama game for the SEC championship title. To start us off, I know we lost. I know it was a really big heartbreaker, but... I got over it pretty quickly because what I was thinking was it wasn't the national championship last year, but it was the SEC championship. So, I mean, I have some really positive things and I have some things that we need to work on. But all in all, I think we were doing really, really good, pushing the limits, just coming out explosive. But in the end, Alabama pulled it off and... That's that's what it is. That's it. I mean, can't change, can't go back in time and change it. So, for Jack to start us off, here's Jack. Uh, yeah, we play, we did play really good against Alabama. We were leading most of the game, actually. Uh, they were down by 14 points, which is, which is the largest deficit they have they have had in a game this season. And uh, yeah, we did play really good. Uh, we played some really good football. Um, Alabama threw two, two, two interceptions, and which that is was crazy. The, that was the most he's like thrown in his career. Yeah, um, our defense played really well. There were some great uh, blocks. There were some great catches. There were great interceptions. And overall, I think we played really, really good. And so the college football playoff is Alabama, Clemson, 
Notre Dame and Oklahoma. And I just want to say something. Notre Dame's not winning it. Georgia is, though, playing Texas in the Sugar Bowl. And that's still going to be a really good game. Because we won't play Texas until 2030, I think. So that's going to be a really cool experience instead um, because we lost. I mean, we still get to do something pretty cool after, go to the Sugar Bowl. Um, and the Sugar Bowl's fun. New Orleans. <laughs> and so my playoff predictions are that Alabama, Alabama's going to play Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I don't think Oklahoma's not going to beat Alabama. I mean, they could. They could pull it off. They have a pretty good, strong strong offense. But I think Alabama's going to pull it off in the end. Um, Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame's not winning it. Notre Dame, I'm sorry, but if you have a lot of luck on your side, take it right now. You will need it against Clemson. But Clemson, you're going to beat Notre Dame. Um, you're going to beat that Ian Book guy. And so Alabama-Clemson National Championship. Ooh, I think I'm pulling it upset. Clemson. Clemson's going to win it. I got Clemson. Travis Etienne, he's going to win it. Okay. Uh, my playoff prediction is uh, Clemson and Alabama again. But Alabama's going to pull off. Pull it off. Just like they did against us, okay. uh, our game was was a heartbreaker, and it just mm, just feels terrible. And every Georgia fan knows how it feels. But um, Alabama is going to win the college football playoff, like they have so many years. And oh, to all the Notre Dame fans, have fun at the Garth Brooks concert. Um, And to sign us off, let's hope we beat Texas and go dogs. Garth Brooks. How did you pull that out? I saw it on TV. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I thought Garth Brooks. Nice job, boys.